Hi there, welcome to Singing Our Way Home podcast. I am your host, Eva Popov, and in this podcast, we will be talking about wellness and creativity and how the two intersect and work together to make life a little sweeter and richer. Each episode features a new conversation with somebody about their creative practice so we can learn a little bit more about this thing we call creativity and how it can support us as we make our way through life. The following episode was recorded on Jajorang country and edited and put together on Wurundjeri country. And I would like to acknowledge and pay my deepest respect to all elders past, present and emerging. I think by sharing the things that touch my heart with others is my way of reminding people, wow, we've got something here that we need to be really treasuring and taking care of. In today's episode, I travelled to Castlemaine to meet with Trace Bella. Trace Bella is a writer, artist, illustrator and songwriter, amongst many things. You may have come across her books, Landing with Wings and River Time, or Rock Hopping, which won the Australian Children's Book Council Book of the Year Award. I spoke with Trace about her creative process, about her relationship with the country she lives on and how it inspires the work she creates. Trace's books are full of the beautiful details of the landscape around her, plants, seasons, creatures. They are also full of big topics and sometimes difficult ones. I asked Trace about how she holds the complexity of the world and the country we are living on within her stories. Within the books and the stories and the songs that you create and share, there's also woven in topics that are difficult and which is quite special given that your audience often is younger. There is stories of death or the pandemic or our um, Indigenous history and the, and the ecological living world. Tell me a little bit about how you make sense of these big things via story. Yeah, I I remember talking with um, Bruce Pascoe uh, once and he said, yeah, you're doing soft history because I don't think I need to be the person talking about the massacres and, you know, our history here is so shameful and horrendous. Uh, yet I do put little hints of things in and, like, for example, talking about language and making reference to there was always a name for this place and now it's named this like the the mountain over here um its name most people know it as mount alexander mount alexander was a macedonian emperor that mountain we still know the name of is lianganuk and so um and that's got a a still got its meaning which I won't talk about um and so it's really for me really nice to find ways to slot it in without being mindful that there's children reading the books I don't need to be the one saying the other things but I will continually slot things in for example as well the the bird in river time when the speedboat went past and how 
that was so different than people going past canoeing. So just saying subtly putting those messages in for me is is a thing that I love to do. One thing that I noticed when reading your work was that it's difficult to step into a reality without imagining it first. And there's something so hopeful that I find in your work. The themes of community, of how people live together, of how people interact with the trees, the plants, (laughs) the frogs. Yeah. Well, a lot of it is really based on my own experiences and I don't think the kids want to read about a a middle-aged woman, (laughs) so I just convert them into other characters and yeah so for example here our neighborhood here is very connected the neighbors up the road have got a little gate between their gardens and so in landing with wings there's a little hole in the fence and um yeah also where we live here our local uh, first nations community uh, are very um open to connection with allies to support um, what they're doing in cultural repair and and um, cultural learning. So, yeah, it's really nice to be part of that in a way where I put some of that into my books, just slowly, and it takes a long time to do things the right way, and it's really worth it. It's completely worth it to me because I can't talk about place without including that. My books are, I guess, in a way that completely about acknowledging country. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the process, which I feel like you really um, share quite openly in um, Landing with Wings in particular. Can you tell me about the experience of learning and consulting and researching for that book? I guess it goes back to my other other work as well. I think the most important thing is starting right from the start with consulting. And the book that I'm almost finished now, I mean, it's three years ago I probably started consulting on that book. And in the scheme of things, it's not very long. But, um, yeah, it's from day one starting the consulting and being aware that it's a slow process. And part of that is because, for example, some of the groups that I consult with, they might only meet once a month and they would, of course, have a lot of things to talk about in that month. And then so they might bring something up and then month after month gradually talk it through and then they might invite you to some meetings. And so, yeah, it takes a long time. And when I worked on um, rock hopping, I was working with at least five different language group groups or organizations and at the 11th hour it was like oh there's a sixth or a fifth um which I hadn't realized and to make sure that if one group had suggested I put something in and the second group was like whoa hang on don't put that in and I'm like great I'm so glad I came to you because unless everyone's happy I'm not putting whatever the thing is in and if they want, if there's things that people want in, then it's really good to be able to, I don't know, represent 
what has often been invisible in, for example, Australian children's literature, to be able to in- include a significant role or place in the stories for First Nations people, which is really nice because those kids, when they read the books, they're there and that's feels nice to be part of that um, change in our children's literature in this country. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And there is some navigation of complexity yes. also as... Um, I guess, as Mm non-Indigenous creators and what you were saying there, the complexity of different language groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for example, the river um, that people call the Glenelg has already got its names and in some areas it's Bokara and in other areas it's Bugara. Maybe it just depends on which side of the river you're on. So, yeah, it's, it's good to go really slow so that you can tick things and get them right and yeah just doing it from the outset is really the way to go rather than a lot of people seem to tack things on at the end and that's really not a respectful way to go about things sounds like collaboration is really important in the process yeah yeah so the book I'm working on now um I've been um gifted a bit of a story from a local Aboriginal man, Alvin Briggs, and it's about um, the emu egg burning and now he does wood burning. And, you know, it was great to receive some funding that would go his way and to get all his permissions done properly and to keep showing him how it was going along the way and keep checking with him. So, yeah, that's a specific example. And, yeah, he's really happy about about that representation in a, in a wider story. The river is giving me back my story. Follow the current, just let it go. I would love to hear a little bit more about the routines and practices in your life that keep you creative and connected to the place you're in. I get up early in the mornings. Usually I like to see the sunrise, but I don't use an alarm clock, so I don't that doesn't always happen. And I either go out by foot or bike and often a combination of the two. And I've got my hot brekkie with me and I will look for some hills usually and especially in the winter I love it. You can get up above the fog line and just be up there like seeing these the top of the hills like islands and the light coming through. Um, or in the summer I might ride to a waterhole and by doing it as a really a daily thing that is a joy for me I'm keeping really in touch with the seasons of like what birds and plants are coming in at the time, where in different areas what plants might be thriving, where the wallabies live. Um, Yeah, and different clumps 
of a bush everywhere so different. And then I sit down to have my breakfast and I might even do some weaving or some write some poems and songs or story ideas. And the longer I sit there, the more the birds come in and maybe the echidna. Then when I go back to um, sit down in, in my studio to work, I've already got that really strong feeling of connection. And, and I think like as it goes over year after year, I've got the rhythm in my bones of what, what is coming next in the seasons. And also there's this time thing that happens where you might go, oh yeah, that was the year of the big floods. or So time is marked in that way. And I think if I was just going in a car to work, I, I couldn't be doing my work. It's um, because it's very much related to my life. And the other thing that's happened with it is I'm a bit of an explorer. And so I'll go in every direction. And because um, I'm going on the bike, which is an e-bike these days, as I get older, uh, I can go quite a far way in each direction. And that covers a lot of area. And so I'm making these maps and the maps, I don't put roads on my maps, but the maps are marking out where things are. And I also know where some things are that are like cultural um, things here, like where some of the grinding grooves are and, and marker trees and middens. So, yeah, the more time that I spend every day just out in the hills, it, I can't help but be connected and then it comes through in my work. I made a little poem that then became a song. It said, sing up the dawn 1,000 times till the birds know you're part of the chorus and you know that the core is us. And, you know, at that time I was in COVID and I was walking up and up these hills, up the next one, up the next one, and... I was singing and I'm sure those birds like had seen me many times singing on my way past and it just came to me that maybe they I was part of them as I'd been walking there for years and yeah and then the, now a tune came to me at some time and yeah till the birds know you're part of the chorus and you know Yes, you know. One thing that's been coming to me as I listen to you speak and also thinking about the hopeful and beautiful nature of the stories that you tell is, I guess, how do you hold in a world where there's so much destruction visible every day, how do you keep returning to what is beautiful and hopeful in your work, which... Um, really sings across the pages and the drawings and the noticings. Because I get up early, I'm in the dawn light. And if you get up in the dawn, it's so beautiful. You can't help but see it. Because I'm so aesthetic, it probably even makes it easier for me. And I'm also listening to all the birds. And so I'm getting this regular morning-like glory and then I, I've got the mind that loves to marvel and wonder about things. And so there's, there's that connection that really helps. 
and yeah there's a totally an awareness of all the other stuff but I guess it's my focus is is on being so gifted with that and, and feeling so much gratitude for that side that I want to share it and um, remind people that hey we're living on this incredible miracle um, that we're a part of this earth let's just notice that side and not just the other side um, yeah perhaps it's like that and and the longer that I'm in the one place, the more that I'm in relationship with that place and the more I'm in love with that place. So, for example, if I go away from here, after a while I'm, I'm you know, missing my beloved. And when I come back, I don't just come back to my backyard. I, I come back and I have to go and see all the places, check in on them. They're like my limbs. Um so I'll go up to the place I call Haven and I'll go to the grandmother tree and I'll go to the heron's pool and I'll go to rainbow rock. See, I've given them all names. Like they're part of me and I'm part of them. And so it's, it's that constantly being connected um, and in love with that part of myself. You know, they say like you need to love yourself first before you can love anyone else. Well, myself extends well beyond my physical body that we walk around in it's a way bigger thing so I, maybe that's what it is and so I do have a really strong urge because of the protective side of it is like I want to protect this planet this earth and so it that kind of um, pulls or pushes me into action of not just sitting there and just enjoying it for myself. It's like, hey, I need to speak up on behalf of um, these other beings. Yeah, of this place. I need to speak up for this place. So, yeah, I think by sharing the things that touch my heart with others is my way of reminding people wow we've got something here that we need to be really treasuring and taking care of and they can read the paper and all that they can look at the news but I'm not needing to do that because everyone else can do that <laughs> well thankfully not everyone others can do that and I, I'm balancing it out the other way a little bit and I, I think the world at the moment need so much to hear from the poets and the artists um, and the musicians and the dancers you know just to keep reminding us and keep bringing us back to that side of life so that we keep wanting to honor and cherish and preserve it So Trace, you've been telling us about your songwriting. Tell us about one of these songs. Um, I did a song, I was very sad to have lost two very dear friends to suicide this year. And I wrote a song um, for one of them's wife and children, as well as just for anyone, anywhere 
and about um, the passing of uh, a life and it's a beautiful song and also I Can have you share some of the lyrics from that song? Yes. Um, from the stars that glitter in your eye, the dent of your dimple, the endlessness of sky, and then it's back to the stars, leaving brightest trail of seeds you have sown, set free now, may you sail amongst the stars, in the galaxy you float, shining forever in your starry freedom boat. And my friend Andrew McSweeney sings it so beautifully. From the stars that glitter in your eye, the dent of your dimple, the endlessness of sky, back to the stars, leaving brightest trail of seed you have sown, set free now may you sail amongst the stars, in the galaxy you float, shining forever. In your starry freedom boat Shining forever In your starry freedom boat I would love to ask a little bit about how you connect with others through your work as writing, journaling, illustrating it can be quite solitary, yet your work is reaching a wide audience. Do you feel that connection with your readers and your audience? How are you nourished by it? Yeah, I get lovely emails and messages over the years. People showing me their kids under the covers or camping or whatever, reading my books and People send me dioramas that they've done or school plays they've videoed or they've dressed up on book week as Clancy. Or... So I'm, I'm regularly getting this lovely feedback and every time it happens, it's so gratefully received because that's what keeps me going as well. And I also have like a bit of a Instagram and Facebook um, that I can share more current things or show people, oh, this is what I'm up to with the book or other things, just to keep a bit of connection. And I also go into schools and libraries and festivals now and then. Hasn't been as much with COVID. Um, and my last book, <laughs> the day that it was going to be launched, was the first day of the first lockdown. So <laughs> I had 30 events lined up that... A small handful went online and the rest got cancelled and the launch cancelled. So they are the times where you most connect with your uh, the people that are closest with your readership. But I, I know that the books go pretty far and wide and like I've got a mural in town and I think the, some of the schools or kinders go and look at that mural and do things about it somehow that 
news trickles back to me. Yeah. There's a real sense of activity in your work being put to use and brought to life in lots of different ways. Yeah, and the songs. um, I hear people singing the songs and I had this lovely feedback on this camp where I told this oral story. Some of the parents told me the next day that the kids were reenacting the really funny bits of the story. (laughs) So the parents were kind of reenacting the kids reenacting and (laughs) that was lovely, lovely feedback for me. Yeah. Again, stories being passed on and passed on. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I hear my songs been sung at a funeral or more than one funeral, one of my recent songs. Um, I've been working this year um, with a friend by the name of Andrew McSweeney. He's a beautiful musician and he has been putting some of my poems to music and we're hoping to have a gig in the coming year as well as like hopefully he can come at my book launch and do some music there. And Do you yeah. sing the songs? Well, I, I can kind of be in the like chorus with everyone or the backup, but I, I'm not, that's not a, a big strength of mine. I love to sing, but... Um, I can leave the main bit to someone else or if it's a group thing, I will definitely join in. Yeah, and I did a song with, um, I made a song with a bunch of people recently in Carl so created that into music from my lyrics and a whole bunch of us flash sang it the other day for a Christmas gift at a community thing. Um so, yeah, it's just a lovely thing to be able to do it in that way. Yeah. Gorgeous. Um, I would love to hear what advice you might offer somebody who wanted to access their own creativity in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit sad to say that, unfortunately, some art teachers or schooling, uh, people get this idea into their head that they're not good at art and so it's it's you know some people obviously going to be more of a artistic bent and others more athletic or whatever it is some people prefer cooking but if it's something you want to pursue then that's your that's your gift and to just don't hold back just explore and try different things and their best teacher is actually doing it so you yourself are your best teacher and the thing that I also really love to remember is to to find out how find out ways how we can gift our gifts so because I have such a creative juice coming through me I've got more than one way of gifting my gifts um, yeah be it song or visual or the mixture of words and pictures um, so I just think yeah just keep finding ways and I think starting with maybe making Christmas cards or birthday cards for people where there's no pressure to make some great art I always love making cards things like that where you actually just all 
right from the start you're doing it as a gift um, is a really nice way to be creative and take that pressure off and I like to use my creative energy also for like personally like processing things if I'm going through a hard time like when my mum died or something I'll do a lot of sort of drawing journaling about it maybe more expressive and so yeah I just encourage that like it doesn't have to be to show anyone it could just be your private meanderings and then maybe one day you want to make one of them into something that you show others or maybe you don't yeah I love that idea of working out how to give your gifts yeah the generous spirit in that and a lot of the time our culture when they meet each other they say oh so what do you do and it's like well I get up in the morning go on my bike you know they actually are asking how do you make your money and <laughs> that's a very different question and I just like people to remember that not to have to put people inverted commas artists on a pedestal but to know that we've all got that capacity within us and um, to just if we want to go that way with it it doesn't have to be how we make money at all it can actually be very freeing if it's not how we make money and probably some of my most favorite bits of art really like that picture behind me that's just a gift for someone that's not how I make money that's just what I love to do so if you take that pressure off it really helps yeah and from our conversation here I'm getting a sense of such a wide and beautiful and diverse creative output but a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> there is a lot that you are giving yeah. how do you stay well and grounded oh, well as we know I go out walking in the morning yes. and swimming and bike riding I also dance and that's um they're all like really um nourishing things for me and and just seeing the sunrise the sunset being with friends uh growing some veggies eating from my garden not getting in my car too often not getting in traffic too often because i live in a small town <laughs> i avoid like supermarkets if possible <laughs> and uh you know sit by fire go under stars camp there's so many ways that I can keep well and yet I often do become ungrounded too because we have to live in this world where we have to check emails and do our tax and have appointments and yeah it's it's a it's a tricky balance and I feel like I can't keep up with all the tasks and so on and so I can live in a messy house and <laughs> then have a cleaning blitz I don't know it's it's a hard thing to to do and I think those things keep me well I'm very lucky that my work is very nourishing most of the time but editing for long periods is quite taxing it's important to know about the challenges of <laughs> well there's lots of challenges but the other side outweighs it
So you've spoken about your love for this country here, Jajawarung country, that is your home. In River Time, you've written about what is known in English as the Glenelg River and your time there through the eyes of Clancy. Tell me a little bit about connection to place and what different places have to teach us. I did a course with a a man by the name of John Young online and I'm not sure if it was from him this thing about wisdom of place and it really stands out for me that we need to know about the particular place as well as the bigger place but for example if you're in a tidal place it might be and the wisdom can sometimes be related to hazards so if you live in a tidal place you might know that you can only go across that walking way when the tide's out and so it's you're wise to take the cliff rather than the beach path and so it's that wisdom of having been somewhere for a while where you know the hazards and those hazards can teach us things too to to be aware that the tides it's not it's not a still thing and um, to be aware that seasons come and go and there's so much to learn from place and the longer that you're somewhere the more that you know the word belonging be long in the longer that you're there the more belonging you have and the more you realize how much you are part of that and I look at my garden for example and it was just a lawn and now there's like habitat for birds there's food that's from being somewhere for a while you get that belonging where if you just came through to camp and then left you're not gonna pick up those subtle wisdoms that you get over being somewhere for a while watching how things work and yeah Maybe a bit like that. My last question is, what is your greatest hope for your work? Where is your work taking you? I see somebody who is following and listening, and whether it be song or dance or story or visuals. Where is this journey taking you? Where do you hope it takes you? What would you love to see your work do in the world? Yeah, it's funny because having my whole life sort of lived in a creative, artistic way, yeah, I can see that it's continuing to evolve and the older you get, you do have struggles and then you pick up wisdoms from them and um, observations and experiences and you pick up more wisdoms. And so I guess to, to have my work become more wise and older and you know get more of the voice of a older wiser person into my work and whichever way it goes I don't know because I'm just (laughs) there for the ride and (laughs) I mean yeah the more people that it reaches the better I didn't used to know that but now I know um, if I just had I remember having a little film, animated film I made about bike riding in a 
environmental film festival and the people that watched it were probably mainly bike riders. And so it didn't feel that I was getting the impact or effect that if I have these books that are going into more mainstream, um, they're going to get a wider reach. And a wider reach means that you're more likely to touch more hearts and that the hearts of those may then go on to do things in whatever way that are more in care of um, the planet thriving and surviving. Yeah. And caring more for each other as well. Thank you so much, Trace, <laughs> for all your beautiful sharing. Well, I rattled on, didn't I? <laughs> you spoke profoundly and beautifully. Thank you for all the work you do, noticing and bringing your noticings to others, listening and storytelling in all the ways. And thank you for speaking with me on my first podcast interview. Well, thanks for asking. And also, like, I just hope it goes really well. And yeah, I'd be really curious to hear them all over the time that that happens. Hi there. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Singing Our Way Home. You've been listening to me, Ev Popov, speak with Trace Fowler, writer, author, illustrator, songmaker, an all-round wonderful human being. You can find out more about Trace's work at her website, tracefowler.com, and I will put links in today's show notes, which you can find at our website, singingourwayhome.com, or say hello at our Instagram page, Singing Our Way Home. Would love to hear from you, be in touch, and see you in the next episode.